Hello and welcome to the Capital Hive podcast where we talk all about entrepreneurship, business and experiences. Please give a warm welcome to our guest and let's have her introduce herself. Yeah, my name is Jen Mueller. I am a sports broadcasting veteran in the United States. I am based out of Seattle, Washington. I am part of the television broadcast team for the Seattle Mariners. That's a major league baseball team. And I am part of the radio broadcast team for the Seattle Seahawks. That is an NFL team. And I run my own company called Talk Sporty to Me, where I take a lot of the lessons I've learned inside locker rooms and during broadcasts, and I apply them to business conversations. So just quickly, what does, how big of a part right now in your life is Talk Sporty to me? So what, how much do you do? It is, yeah, it's not 100%. I work on it every day, but my full-time job is to be on TV and radio. So it kind of depends on what the sports schedule is for that day as to how much time Talk Sporty gets. But it's probably right now about 40% of what I do. And is that more like coaching? Is that a consulting work? What, what does Talk Sporty to Me do? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. A lot of it is consulting, right? Corporations will bring me in to do communication training for their employees. Right now, hybrid work environments, we are all going to have to figure out how to navigate that space. So I go in and do training on strategies that you can use. And more than just the, hey, it would be nice if you could have this communication going on internally, I'll actually give you the words to say and how to formulate that every single time so that you can have a lot more confidence when you are communicating either with colleagues or with managers. And then sometimes people hire me to do private coaching. They've got events that they've got coming up, book launches, or they're interviewing for something and they want me to do some one-on-one -on -one work with them. That's cool. Now you mentioned book launches. So you have three books, is that correct? I do. What? Just give us a quick run through. What do, are those three books about? Yeah, they all have a tie to sports and to business communication. So the very first one was such a small book, it's hard to call it a book, but it was on how to become a sports fan for business. Look, you don't have to be a huge hardcore sports fan to leverage sports fandom in business. And if you have not had any introduction to sports, do not believe what you read on the internet that the best way to start to become a sports fan is to learn the rules. No sports fan talks about the rules over the stats and the scores and the actual player. So the first book was just to give you an idea on how to become a sports fan for business. The second book was called Talk Sporty to Me, Thinking Outside the Box Scores. And that's where we dive deeper into how do you leverage somebody's fandom, whether it's yours or somebody that you're working with. The one that I launched most recently in 2017 was called The Influential Conversationalist. And that tied in conversation skills that you need to develop to become a good leader. And again, it used athletes, it used examples from inside the locker room that we can use to reinforce what good communication and effective communication actually looks like. And why did you write that book? Did you think there was a lack of knowledge in that field or was it just because you thought yeah. that you had a different view on things or? Both. 
Both. So the most recent one where you tie in leadership and communication, I, I think that people are looking for that big thing that sets them apart. And what they fail to realize is that it's the small interactions that you have every single day that sets you up for your next opportunity. And there's ways that people can be and should be more strategic in all of their small talk, in all of their greetings, in all of their introductions. And if you just look at those opportunities, you can further the relationships that you have in business. You can stay on the radar easier. You can build consensus. You can get buy-in. There's a lot of things that leaders need to be able to do that starts with how they communicate. So that was really kind of where I was going with it. And then having friends inside a locker room makes it fun to pull some of the stories from them. But but it really is for, for up and coming leaders to understand the power that they have in every single conversation. Now you mentioned everyday talks and conversations, but how do I like, what's the, what's the actual thing I need to change in an everyday conversation to make it better? Now, of course, this is a broad field and there's a lot to talk about in it, but sure. name just like some, something that's very important that is easy to change and that a lot do wrong, especially. Okay. Let me give you this one. Jens, when I were to ask you this question, how are you? What would you say? I'm good. <laughs> Okay, that's what you change right there. That is the very first and number one thing that you change. It is your response to the question, how are you? That is your opening to deliver what I call a success statement. And that is your moment to take the conversation and point it directly to where you want it to go. Now, I'm gonna say this. I don't believe that how are you is a great conversation starter. So if you're on mm -hmm. the other side of that conversation, you've got to come up with a much better question than how are you to actually get that conversation going. But if you're the one answering that question, you need to have something that you can point to that answers the question of how are you, but gives some explanation. So it could be, I'm good because I'm taping another podcast today and I just met an awesome guest. Okay. If you deliver that sentence, instead of just saying, I'm good, now I go, well, tell me more about this podcast. Who's the guest? What did you learn? Mm. What other podcast guests have you had? What's your favorite thing about, about hosting a podcast, right? We just went into a much deeper conversation, much quicker, and we didn't play this game of 20 questions. If you're talking to a manager, you better know what you have done to make the company or the team better and you better be able to spotlight that it could be everything from hey i'm great because the project is on schedule i'm great i finally got some emails returned to me so now we can move forward right these don't have to be big i've conquered the world successes but you need to be able to deliver a really strategic sentence right there so that even if nobody asks you a follow-up question you have utilized that 15 seconds to the best of your ability. All right, but let's let's try to play this out. So I say, how are you? What would you say in this moment right now? What would I say? I would say yeah. I'm awesome. I've done a podcast interview this morning. I'm on track to get my uh, TV show done this week, and it's going to be sunny today. What's that TV show about? Would that be a good response or would that just be sure. like, oh, let's advert? Sure. Well, here's what I did. I gave you three options to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. I gave you the option to talk about the podcast, which you already know what that's about. I gave you the option to talk about the TV show, which is about the baseball team that I cover. And I gave you the option to talk about 
the weather and why do I care that it's sunny? Because I usually don't talk about the weather, but if you know anything about Seattle, Washington, you know that it is cold, dreary, and rainy most of the year. So the fact that it's sunny is a pretty big deal. Here's what else you could do in that conversation if you wanted to play it out. You could turn and walk away from me. Because sometimes people are gonna ask you, how are you? And we're just passing each other in the hall, right? We had yeah. no intention of starting a five minute conversation. And if you walk away from me, that's okay. Or if you change the subject, cause you already had something on your mind that you wanted to talk to me about and be like, hey, that's great, Jen. But what I'm really hoping you can do is dive into these questions that I sent over to you last week a little bit further. It doesn't matter how you respond to it. I've used that time to show you what I want to talk mm -hmm. about. Now you mentioned cutting a conversation that you don't want to have. So let's say you meet someone in the hall and he, they go, how are you? And some just having a great day, but you really don't know how to talk to that person right now because you're doing other things. How do I cut it without being I'm good and then running off? Because, well, well it gives a rude image, I feel like. It, it can, right? So it kind of depends on why there's two things. If you are truly busy, right, then there's going to be something about your body language, if we're in person, that indicates I'm hustling from one place to the other. So part of that gets taken care of in how you are physically showing up in that space. Yeah. The other thing you can do before you even get to that conversation is put some parameters around it and say, Jens, I am hustling to a meeting, but I need to catch up with you and find out how you're doing today. Right. Mm -hmm. um, or if you were to say, hey, I'm great. I, I just I can't believe my luck today. It's been awesome. Right. My response could be, oh, my gosh, that sounds like a great story. I'm running into a meeting. Can I find you? after that meeting, I'll swing by your desk, okay. right? So it depends as to have one more sentence, one extra sentence to acknowledge what you heard and say, I'll follow up with you or send me an email about that story or let's talk about it over lunch goes a long way in how that person perceives the interaction, right? And here's the other thing I wanna challenge people on. I understand being super busy during the course of the day. And I understand people who do not know when to end a conversation, right? They don't pick up on body cues. They're not picking up on the language that I am really just trying to leave the room. But here's what I want to challenge you on. A complete conversation can last 15 seconds. That is three sentences. That is a standard measure of time in television. I write three sentence scripts all the time. You're not going to get the full story, but you will get a story. And so if you are thinking, I need to get out of this conversation because I really don't have time, mm. figure out if you, if you really have time for 15 to 30 seconds, that's three to six sentences, right? Yeah, you can button that up. Do. You can acknowledge that person, right? And now we've actually built a better relationship in 30 seconds. You probably have 30 seconds, most of the time, not all the time, when yeah. you're running between things. I feel like you mostly do. At least you can squeeze in 30 seconds for good relations. But that's, of course, very scenario based. Well, uh, sure, yeah. but we but we often think, but Jen's real quick to that, but we often think a conversation, like you get more points in a conversation for being in it longer, right? I think that's kind of a, a thing that we have in the back of our mind, right? That a good conversation, gosh, we're going to have to set aside a lot of time for that. 
but that's not true. And so once you just think, oh, a conversation could actually last 30 seconds, it'll change the way that you go into conversations, especially if you're introverted or you don't really like the person that you're talking to. <laughs> now, one thing I, I constantly see your post in the background, talk sporty to me. What does that mean for you? Talk sporty to me. How, how does that differentiate from just having good communication skills to just talking sporty to someone? Yeah, it goes back to a, I'm a sports fan. I'm a sports broadcaster, but if you are not talking sports, you are missing out on huge opportunities in business sports overall and i have not looked at numbers for europe but i do know that in yearly surveys that are done here in the united states more than half of all americans self-identify as sports fans okay so if you can talk sports at any level we're not talking you know sports at my level where it's my job mm -hmm. you have access to talk to more than 185 million people right now Roughly, mm. that, that's a little bit more than half of the people in the United States, okay? So if I work in a business setting, if I'm networking, if I'm in sales, if I'm looking for a job, I already have a warm lead with those people who are sports fans and I can figure out how to have a conversation with them. Sports is also the only DVR proof material on TV today. It is the only thing that has to be viewed in real time and that sports fans do view in real time or they yeah. find out the score within a very short period of time. That means that you always have something to talk about. And when you go to talk to sports fans, sports gives you access that no other topic does. Because whether you are a six-year-old fan or a 76-year-old fan or a 42-year-old fan, a college grad, a CEO, it doesn't matter. Sports fans talk to other sports fans. And once you join that conversation, there are so many follow-up opportunities and there's so many personal branding opportunities. This is not just talking to me about stats and scores. This is building relationships using a topic that people want to talk about anyway. Yeah, but now you mentioned talking about like you want to talk about that subject, but maybe this is more a European thing, but like my friends, a lot of them, because the big thing is football. Uh, by football, I mean soccer. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I like Formula One. My dad likes uh, bike riding or like cycling. And my sister likes horseback riding. So those don't really correlate that much. So how, how do we, because I have no clue who's winning in anything in cycling, but how do I still keep that conversation up? Because Well, you put the onus on them. Right, so there's a couple of things, right? When you think about becoming a sports fan and you say you don't know anything about cycling, you can go and yeah. read a headline, right? You can tell what race is coming up, right? So when you ask your dad, hey, what do you think about the field for the race? Whichever one it is, right? I'm not a big cycling. I know Tour de France, I look at that one every year, right? <laughs> but I'm not big into cycling and I'm not big into to horseback riding. Formula One, I can do a little bit, right? But I would turn that back on you and ask what it is that you like about the sport, who your favorite driver is, what your favorite course is. And then I'm gonna make a mental note. And when I hear that driver's name, or when I see that there's a race on that course or that track, now I can follow up with you on that, right? It's not about mm. you guiding the conversation. It's you giving somebody an opportunity to talk. Now your dad and your sister are different, right? You already know them. Think about this in the context of business though. 
When yeah. I get you to drop your guard a little bit about sports, and remember, this conversation could take place in 30 seconds, okay? This yeah. is why it's important to realize the real length of a conversation. If I can stay on your radar in 30 seconds and you are my manager, or you are the, the key influencer, or you are the decision maker, there is going to be a point in time 30 seconds into that conversation, it switches over to business. And that's what you need to be standing there for, right? Okay. There's going to be a point in time where the, the person you're talking to says, hey, Jens, when you're not watching Formula One, what are you doing? And yeah. now you tell me what it is that you're trying to do, what you're really good at, what you're working on, what you're proud, whatever this is, right? Sports is the springboard into everything else, right? This is not a six hour conversation. It really is the small talk that gets you to the big conversations. Mm. Now you mentioned, and this just been hanging in my head since you said it is that you then ask, turn the conversation around to them asking, so what, what rider do you like? But he goes, I don't know. He says some guy, some cycling guy, let's, I don't know. Uh, and then what do I go? Uh, and he goes, what's your favorite rider? I'm like, I don't know the guy that won. Like no. what, what do I respond? No. No, you don't. You would define your area of expertise. So there's two strategies. If you feel mm. like you are getting stuck in a sports conversation or any conversation where you don't have an obvious next response, take just a half a step back here, right? Because you just pointed out cycling is not your thing, but Formula One is. Yeah. So what I would do in that case is define your area of expertise and go, you know what? I am so lost when it comes to cycling because I spend most of my time watching Formula One, right? Yeah. Or I prefer to watch Formula One or my friends and I always talk about soccer, right? Here's what you communicate when you, when you use that strategy. Mm -hmm. If you want to talk about cycling, I'm here to listen. But if you expect me to contribute to the cycling conversation, it's going to end very quickly. If, however, you want to talk about my sport, which is Formula One or football, go right ahead. You just gave your dad or whoever you're talking to mm. this big old bullseye of what they can ask you about. But it's also not your job to know everything there is to know about cycling, right? Yeah. And this is where sports fans get... Um, they, they get a little bit in their own heads and the confidence that it takes to talk sports really comes down to, do I have an exit strategy, right? Can I define my area of expertise? You know what I do a lot, Jens, and this is true because people will walk up to me and they think that because I work in sports broadcasting, I know everything there is to know about sports. I know a lot of sports, but my main focus is the Seattle Mariners and the Seattle Seahawks. If you ask me about the New York Yankees, I'm only going to have knowledge that goes so deep, right? Yeah. So a lot of times what I'll say is, you know, I read the headline that said so-and-so was injured. I read they've won six straight games, but I haven't had time to look any further, right? That's a way of defining my area of expertise on that one. I have only gone right here at the top. I'm very surface level. So if you want to fill me in on anything else that you know, I'm totally cool with that, but I can't add a whole lot to the conversation. That puts me in a good light and you in a good light. Here's the other strategy, because I promised you two, if you get into mm -hmm. an awkward situation. Your second strategy is to use the words, no, but. 
Yeah. Okay, so this happens a lot. I can see with football. I can see with racing. Hey, did you see the game last night? Did you see the match last night? Are you going to watch the match on Sunday or Saturday? If your answer is no, do not lie and try to fake your way through a conversation that you don't know anything about. That is a horrible way to start a relationship, right? Or to build a relationship by lying, mm. right? So be honest, no. But I'm hoping you can fill me in on what happens. No, I'm not watching the football match on Saturday, but I do plan to catch up on the highlights when I'm back from my run or when I'm done working that day. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I just, I'm thinking, would it almost be worth an investment to learn the big sports? In America, that would be American football and without, in Europe, it wants to be soccer. Would it be like, because for me, I really don't have an interest in soccer. I've, I've watched soccer, I watched the world championships, of course, support my nation, um, but, Besides that, I really, I, I don't care that much. Is it something you should at least be following up on as like an asset, a business asset? Or is does it not make sense because at that point it's way too structured and you're just reading the headlines to know what you're talking about, but there's no emotion behind it? Well, but when you said business asset, that's really the key, right? Because it mm -hmm. doesn't have to be your emotion that drives that conversation. If I am a sports fan and I love to talk about, you know, the NFL or soccer, which I'm not so much into soccer uh, <laughs> myself, again, because of what my job is, right? And you, if you were to give me an opening to talk about that on a Monday morning or the day after a big game, I would actually seek you out for conversations, right? This mm. is a business asset. Anytime you can open the line of communication, because what we're doing in that conversation is building trust and rapport. The more trust and rapport I have with you, the easier it is for us to work together smoothly and actually get things done, right? You don't have to be a hardcore sports fan to talk about sports. You should take some kind of a passing interest in it, right? And you, there's a, there's a spectrum of sports fans that I've actually defined. And it is not along gender lines and it is not along sports lines. There are passing interest novice fans. There are hardcore fans. There are fans that just want the social engagement of being at a match or a game and drinking beer and talking to people. There's nothing wrong with that type of fan. There's a type mm. of fans here in the United States, certainly, that they all went to the same university or college. They have zero interest in what's happening outside of the university that they attended, but that's okay. That's a type of a sports fan, right? And so having some kind of interest, whether it is your all-time favorite thing or not, is absolutely a business asset. And I'm going to tell you this, every single business leader, that I know has some sort of a passing interest in sports because sports is part of the economy and business leaders know what's happening in the economy and they know what drives the economy and they know consumer habits, right? And so mm. they are using sports in that way. So yes, across the board, just make it something that you spend about five, literally five minutes a day, just looking at some headlines and you will be so much better off in these conversations. Yeah, now you just very quickly touched upon sports becoming a business. 
Do you think that is correct? Because nowadays it has become a big business with mm-hmm. investing in players and teams and making them big. Do you think sports should be a business or should it stay sports, quote unquote? Um, yeah. Do you, do you understand what I mean with well, that question? I, yeah. It, and so we think so here in the States, the, the conversation that we have a lot is between professional and amateur sports. So professional mm. sports versus collegiate athletes. And the really big debate right now is can they and should they be paying college athletes for their name, likeness, and image? So when it would show up on a video game or when they sell jerseys, even though their name isn't on the back of it necessarily, should the players be getting part of that? And there's a lot of people that believe that if you are an amateur in sports, that it is at a different level, right? That it's not as much of a business. And here's what I'm gonna say. Every level of sports is a business, right? Unless you were playing in a rec league that does not charge any sort of entry fee, does not have any sort of prize money at all, it is all a business. Right down to the little league um, leagues that are running in the United States where you have six and seven-year-olds that are starting to play, that is all a business. There's entry fees. There's you know fees to go to camps and, and all sorts of things. I don't think you can take the business out of sports. And I don't know that it really matters because what I know from being inside locker rooms is that athletes are still motivated by competition, by winning, and by doing their very mm. best, right? So you might not like the trappings around sports. You might not like the number of commercials that get played, right? <laughs> but the commercials, are part of the business of sports but it yeah. does not take away from the fact that your favorite formula one driver is driving because he loves what he does right yeah. so if you if you just want to love the sport and love the athlete that, that's what sports is right and if you enjoy the business side of things look the business side of sports does really good things it's not just about how much money players get paid or coaches get paid. They have a huge community outreach for most of these leagues, organizations, and teams. They help people in the community. They've got big platforms to raise awareness for things. And it drives economy, workers that go to stadiums and venues. It's not just highly paid athletes when we talk about the business of sports. Yeah. Now, sorry to just quickly cut you in the rails right here. But there's a question that I've used a lot in the last few and they have uh, podcasts and they've done really well is what's your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Because in fact, you can, I can learn a lot from what you have already learned through a failure of yours. Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways that I can look at this question as a business owner, the biggest failure, and it wasn't just, it wasn't one thing as Mm. a business owner, it was spending money that I didn't have to early in the lifespan of my business because I thought that that's the way it had to be, right? So I didn't actually need to hire people to do things early on. I could just do it myself. But, you know, when you start a business, it's like, well, it's not really a business unless I've got, you know, kind of some of these other things. Well, that's not necessarily true. Mm. One of the biggest failures I thought I had um, as a broadcaster actually resulted in a player walking out of an interview and um, 
it was Felix Hernandez. He was a Seattle Mariners starting pitcher. He ended up winning the Cy Young Award. So he was at the top of his game. And I had known this player for a long time, but in spring training, we were sitting down to do interviews and it was just a bad day. It, it was a bad day for all of us. He had made me wait about four hours past the point where he was going to sit down. They were coming to clear out the set. I was on a time deadline and I was already slightly irritated that he'd made me wait for four hours. He walked in. He was irritated that he still had to sit down with me after trying to wait me out for four hours. And it didn't go very well. And I got up to leave <clears throat> because I, he was being disrespectful. Um, and it was unusual because we had talked many, many times over the years before that. Then he ended up leaving the interview and it, it was tough because it is my job to go into a locker room and talk to players. Yeah. He was the number one player in that locker room, in that clubhouse. If we did not get things to the point where he and I could have conversations after games, it was going to cause major, major problems in there. Like to the point where other people wouldn't talk to me. And now I start to have an issue of job security because if I can't get players to talk to me after a game, you don't need to send me in there anymore, right? You'll replace yeah. me. <clears throat> and it took a lot of, we had conversations early in the year. We ended up sitting down, we hashed it out. And here was my big mistake. I was so focused on what I needed to do and what I needed to accomplish and how I felt in the moment, which was irritated, frustrated, pissed off, embarrassed that I'm making my crew wait and I'm telling them, no, 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 he's going to be there. He's going to be there. And then when he shows up and, and they realize that I've just kept them from doing work for the last four hours for this, now I'm embarrassed, right? My feelings became the number one thing that I was trying to, to deal with. What I yeah. didn't consider was his feelings, right? I thought he was being a jerk just to be a jerk. He wasn't. He had other things going on that day. If I would have taken a little bit of a pause, if I would have asked a couple of questions, if I would have recognized that it doesn't do any good to force my agenda on somebody else when they aren't in that place, I would have saved myself a lot of stress and frustration and it would have been smoother to start that year. Now there's a happy ending to that story because after we patched things up, one of my biggest fears, like I said, was that he would either tell people in the clubhouse not to talk to me or that he would stop talking to me. And he was the best pitcher in baseball that year. He ended up throwing a perfect game in August of that year. Mm -hmm. And I was the first person who talked to him after that game. A perfect game is very rare in baseball. What does and that when mean? he came He's... off the field, a perfect game means the pitcher was perfect. He did not give up a hit. He did not allow a run. He did not allow a walk. He did not make any mistakes in that game. Okay. And so to be part of that moment for him, and when I walked onto the field to do the interview, which is my job, the moment where we just looked at each other and recognized that it was cool that we were both there is really special to me. Well, it seems like a cool story and a good ending to that story. And now just to think what just let's move back to the entrepreneur side of, of your of your story with Talk Sporty to Me. What's the future plans for Talk Sporty to Me? Is it the idea that it's going to be full time for you? So that is something or is it going to stay part time? 
You know, I think that as I move through broadcasting, it is always my backup plan. And, you know, at some point it will be full time. There'll be a point in time where they don't want the old lady on TV. There'll be a point in time where I'm ready for something different outside of broadcasting. And Talk Sporty to me gives me a chance to be creative in how I present content and creating new things. It gives me the challenge of growing a business and generating sales and looking at all those things. So eventually, it will be full-time. Um, eventually, I would like for it to give me the opportunity to travel around the world. I love to travel. I've done it a number of times, but it would be great to be intentional about where I go because people had hired me to do speaking or training. So that's mm. what I see on the horizon. And I don't, I don't know when that's going to happen. I have some things that I'm keeping my eye out for, but at some point, Talk Sporty will be the thing that uh, occupies most of my time. And now as um, to grow this Talk Sporty to Me business, it's, it's very based around you. How would you grow that from just you giving talks to expanding it to a full, I guess, commercial business where you have employees that work for you as well as consultants? Yeah, there's a couple of things on that one. One, the easiest way to expand that business is just to have different offerings that don't that don't trade time for money, right? Mm -hmm. So I will always be the primary person delivering the message of Talk Sporty to me. But you don't have to have me live and in person to benefit from trainings. Like right now, I have an on-demand video series on the website on asking better questions. I take you through the entire process that I use when I'm formulating questions for TV and radio, right? You can do that on your own. You can pay for it. You can do it on your own. And I can provide as much online training as I want mm -hmm. as a way for people to learn from me. That requires a team of people to make sure that it is up and running, but it's not trading time for money, right? So there's training opportunities that you'll see that come across online. Eventually, I have considered people who have already worked in sports have a lot of these same experiences, right? Yeah. They have not talked about business communication in the same way, but that would be a way that if I wanted to bring people on, to also deliver some of the messaging. I would look at my colleagues who are trying to transition out of sports, who have already done it, but that, who have similar experiences of being in a locker room or a clubhouse around a team and seeing the same parallels that I'm seeing just with their own stories. Hmm. Now, one thing I'm wondering, how did you go from, I'm guessing, high school into becoming a broadcaster? Because that's not a career path you can choose, I guess, or is it? Well, actually it is. Yeah, it is. Oh. And I did not know that until I started going down that path. My high school guidance counselor had said, you know, you might want to think about TV um, because I like to talk a lot and I'm not afraid to talk in front of people. And I, I thought of it more as a challenge because to your point, I didn't really think it was a career that I could choose. As it turns out, there's broadcasting journalism degrees. I picked a university here in the States that had a good broadcasting journalism program. And you just take the classes. And when you start taking the classes, you know, it's like any other job or getting into any other career. You just take these baby steps and part of becoming a broadcaster is doing internships, which is not unlike any other job. And once you have those internships and you start meeting people that work in the industry, that's where you network. 
and you have the opportunity to get into your first job somewhere, right? You take the low level job and you work your way up just like you would at anything else. Now it looks different, right? The entry level job to me was booking guests on a sports show and then writing scripts, right? So my day looks a little different than your day at that point, but mm. you build trust with people, you build your skill set. I was always trying to be on camera. So I would, before I had the job that allowed me to be on camera, after everybody would go home at night, I had access to the video, the editing equipment and the voiceover booth. And I would spend hours working by myself in the office, putting together my own stories as if I was the reporter. I would show mm. that to my boss and my mentor he would give me feedback and critiques and I would go back and I would do it again. And I did this for years, building my own resume reel. And so once you do that, and again, I networked around and there was an opening and I, it, it sounds, it, it does sound more simple than it, than it is because the deal with sports is the best sporting event events happen nights, weekends, and holidays. Yeah. So, if you're going to get into this business, you have to know that you will always be working nights, weekends, and holidays. So if those are important to you, you might want to pick something different. Um, but yeah, you actually just kind of go to school and follow the steps to get there. I think that's an interesting way to move on to the segment where we ask the five standard questions. Um, I've, you've already been sent them, so you know what they are. And most we prepared something. Or are yeah, you gonna? Yeah, but go ahead and okay. ask me. Well, yeah. Let, let's see how it hits me today. You know, I had what I <laughs> thought I was gonna say, but let's see. Let's see how this hits me today. Okay. So the first question is, what do you regret buying or investing in? And as we have said many times before, it's not stocks or a startup. It's more something sentimental. The thing I regret is any number of clothes in my wardrobe. So I did not grow up as a clothes person, but let me just tell you that when you're on TV, there is this pressure of, oh my gosh, I have to have something new. And also it makes you feel good. And I sometimes get bored. And I, there was a stretch in time where I think there was something coming to my door every single day. And I justified it because it was on sale. And I regret, I hate, I hate seeing how much money I spent during that point in time, thinking that it was all the stuff that I needed. You know what? Let me just tell the quick aside, people aren't paying as much of attention as you think they are. My coworker, who's also on TV, her name is Angie. She is mm. blonde. We could not look more opposite. People yeah. call me Angie all the time. So it did not matter how many different dresses I bought. Like people weren't paying attention. Just stick with the five that you like, <laughs> like stop spending the money anyway. All right. I think that's a good answer. Um, let's move on to the next one. Your best investment. So again, not a stock or a startup. Yeah, I have started hiring people to do things that I technically could do, but that I'm just not as good at. So people creating graphics for me or turning a Word document into a beautifully produced PDF and ebook and one sheet and actually hiring people to do some of that stuff out. Uh, that has been the best investment and the biggest one most recently because I get some of my time back and I gladly pay people to do things when they can do it in less time and I can do what I am really good at. 
Mm. And is that now you say hiring is that full time work or is that like more freelance nope. kind of things? It's more freelance through Upwork actually is where I go and I find a lot of people to do that. Yeah, so project based it forces me to get really clear on a description of what that project is and who I need, and that's a good exercise for me. And then they can execute it perfectly. And it, do you feel like that you have gotten a lot of good experience with like Upwork and Fiverr and these? Um, freelance work because some say it's good like very good and some say it's they've just had bad experience i'm guessing how has it been for you yeah thankfully thankfully knock on wood everything has been very positive and very good um so i have enjoyed that and that was a huge fear of mine look anytime that you have something that you are very close to whether it's a business that you launched or a project that's your baby it's hard to turn things over and it's hard to to expect that other people have the same standards that you do when it's not their thing so yeah. i had a lot of hesitation around going that route but i'll tell you that it kind of goes back to athletes and the people that i've encountered and met they want to do a good job this is what they do this is what they take pride in so i've had a lot of good experience with it that seems cool and now to one of my favorites i'm a quote kind of person what's your favorite quote yeah my favorite quote comes actually out of a devotional book that is still sitting on that rack behind me that says every job is the portrait of the person who did it autograph your work with excellence okay who who wrote that or what's the author of the book called it is um so it's out of the devotional book but that quote had an unknown author it was not attributed but i always thought mm -hmm. about it the story that went with it was the statue of liberty that's in new york in the united yeah. states you would never know this if you were standing on the ground, but apparently the statue has hair, like actual hair carved in, right? Yeah. Into the stone. And the point was the sculptor knew that nobody was gonna see the top of the Statue of Liberty, right? Like they didn't, yeah. they didn't have planes when this was created. And yet he went the extra mile to do that because that's the type of person that he was, right? So every job you do, understand that it's a reflection and a portrait of you cool and now to one of the favorites is what is your weirdest way you've made money before oh well i have a couple of these so Fireball i'm gonna hit. list off yeah uh, so i was a football official for a long time so like um, american football i put on stripes and white pants and i refereed games um i did that like at high school games in the United States. I also did that in college. In college, I also taught water aerobics, which was part of me being like a lifeguard and swim team coach. It just went with it. And as I was trying to break into TV and get experience behind the radio, I read traffic reports on the radio. And I spent one afternoon doing a show on water products so like anything that you could use on a boat specifically these particular type of boat shoes and i had to sell this right it was like a home shopping club thing i yeah. spent hours talking about this one pair of shoes that you could buy to wear on a boat and what was the sale so how did you talk about these shoes in one hour how did you extend that to an oh. hour Jens, you can tell that I can talk 
and you find every detail of the shoe and then you paint the picture of what it's like and how cute they are and how you can wear them even when you're not on the boat and then you know the the safety functions of wearing them on the boat and then the color combinations and then imagine you can buy these for your whole family and then you know then you don't have to worry about it anymore because you can't wear normal shoes on a boat it'll scuff up the boat right so there's oh yeah mm. oh imagine kicking your shoes up on the side of the boat so that you can see them in the water at the same time oh yeah i made up a lot a lot a lot of stories on that yeah and were those on the fly or were there something you prepared so you wrote like oh, a yeah. big list of no no essentially what they gave me is the price mm -hmm. the color combinations and when you could expect them to be delivered and i think they gave me a description of the product where it actually said you know like you know this part was leather and it was this kind of stitching they gave me very very basic details and then they said here you go mm -hmm. that seems interesting and to the last uh -huh. one what's your number one bucket list goal right now and we are thinking of that corn does not exist because that's more fun <laughs> it's just yeah that it, wait you're thinking that what oh that it doesn't exist yeah so we, we can travel we can't meet people and everything is back to normal like 2019. yeah you know what i would love to do is i would love to cover um playoff baseball which we have not had in seattle in the entire time that i have covered the team and uh, i have been with the seahawks when they won a super bowl and that was amazing and it will be amazing someday when the mariners are back in the playoffs so that i would that i would really like to do so that depends a lot on that team winning the super bowl again or do you just yeah, want to well, be there for the for the mariners yeah to be in the playoffs because i would be part of the broadcast team that gets to do that yeah and also I need to travel Europe a little bit more. I'd like to spend some more time in Paris. Like bucket list would be a week in Paris. And that is a stretch for me, gents. France is not my favorite place. If you ever but come I really to France, to spend a week I am Paris. not that far away from Paris. I'm a three hour train trip from okay. Paris. <laughs> okay. But I do not live Very in France good. for those that I live in Switzerland. So, but I live close to the French border. Okay. Yeah, All I haven't right. been to Switzerland either. <laughs> um yeah anything you want to say before we round off this podcast for today no um i am always happy to answer emails though you can find me on the website talksportytome.com it's pretty easy hope you enjoyed this podcast and we'll be back with another episode next saturday see you then